Hello, everybody. Um, this will be my first interview as I get ready to relocate into San Francisco. And joining us this evening or this afternoon, depending on where you are, is the lovely Miss Rhonda Franklin. She is currently living in San Francisco and she has a very good story to tell with regards to her history about coming to America. So she is originally from Guyana, which makes her Guyanese. And she's going to be sharing with our listeners a little bit about uh, where that's located um, and what she feels is different about America and just everything else. And uh, just kind of some of her background with regards to what's going on in America and even possibly share some things about some of the Guyanese culture. Or So welcome, uh, the Guyana culture, I'm sorry. So welcome, Rhonda, and uh, please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, and, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate this time with you and your listeners, and I'm happy to do so. I came to America um, through my mom's sponsorship, so um, there used to be, I'm not even sure if this is possible today, but there used to be a time when you can sponsor someone and um you know uh, basically uh it could be your employer there were more employers sponsoring um immigrants i believe more before than they are today so my mom was sponsored by her employer she was able to get her green card and then she brought me up so i came up here we we lived in new york my mom my stepdad and myself um i was age uh, i was eight years old so okay yeah, it was it was it was great. It was exciting um, to be able to come to a new place. So, what did you like about uh, what did you like about New York? The snow. I'd never seen snow before. You'd never seen snow before, huh? Right. So in Guyana, it's very humid. It's very hot. The climate is intense heat. The sun is beaming down on your back and on your shoulders, and so um, that's year round. If it's not raining. It's, it's raining humidity or it's uh, or it's hot. It's just sun. Okay. So um, coming to... So wait a minute, but just a moment, please. So for the benefit of our listeners who don't know where Guyana is located, can you give us a little bit about that and possibly how long it took you to get here from Guyana? Or if you remember how long it took and did you come by boat, plane, or what was the journey? I guess if you can remember that or do you remember the journey? Uh-huh. Okay. It was an airplane. Okay. Um, I remember um, being afraid of the escalators when we got here. Okay. Because um, at that time in Guyana, we have escalators in Guyana now, of course. I mean, it's 40, 40 years later. Right. But um, at the time, um, just having to get on the escalator was scary. But we took an airplane. We first went to Trinidad, and then from Trinidad, um, to United States. Now, Guyana is located in South America. It's one of the uh, only um, English, uh, non-Spanish speaking country. Um, you've got Brazil, they speak Portuguese, and um, you have French Guyana, and then you have British Guyana, and that's where I was born. And in British Guyana, um, you know, it's, we affiliate ourselves with the Caribbean However, the location is right above Brazil in South America. Ah, uh, okay, so, okay. Um, you know, just having to 
um, come to a different culture. I had a you know very thick Caribbean accent. Um, certain words um, that I'm familiar with are not spoken here, and vice versa. And, and just the the intensity of a big city like New York, right? Why can't I go to like Oklahoma? Right. No, I went to New York where it was like you know intense culture shock. Right. Right. What did you? So with that culture shock, uh, everything from the language, the food, uh, being in school, what stayed with you from New York or what did you like about New York when you got here or, and what didn't you like about New York when you got here? Well, you mean compared to being in San Francisco? Right. In the Bay Area. right. Okay, well, that's a great question because initially um, I was, excited to see other Guyanese people in New York. The Bronx specifically has a lot of Caribbean folks. So I was able to, I was in a culture shock, but I still, I was able to fuse kind of into folks that I was familiar with. They would come over to the house and talk to my mom and welcome her. Everybody, you know, when you go to someone's house in Guyana, you took a dish, right? So everybody came over, they brought Guyanese dishes. So I, initially it was great. It was like, wow. It's not so bad, you know. My people are here too. Right. So I was able to um, still kind of have some of my own culture while living in New York because of the Bronx area, and that's where we live. Okay. Um, I love the snow. I love all of those things. And then when I got to San Francisco, there's not a lot of Guyanese people here. In fact, it was my mom, my stepdad, my uncle, my aunt. And maybe like five other people. <laughs> so, so you could count maybe on on, on your on hands one, on and, hands. and yeah. yeah, right, right. Count. So, did you feel um, more out of place when you got into the Bay Area? Is that Absolutely. is that a natural is that a natural thing to say? And now, how long have you been in the Bay Area now? So, um, we stayed in New York almost two years. My my parents had been there before. They they brought me up, but. When I was with them, when I finally got to New York, it had been about two years later, we moved to San Francisco. And um, so that means, uh-huh, if I could do the math, I'm 49 years young now. Okay. So eight, nine, 10, minus, so 39 years in the Bay Area. Um, and in those 39 years, things have changed drastically. I obviously no longer have an accent. I lost that around maybe seventh or eighth grade. Okay. Um, willingly lost it. Right. Because here is what the other issue became. Um, folks that I was going to school with, the young, the people my age, my peers, were making fun of me. Hey, you talk funny. Right. Right? Kids can be me. Oh, yeah. So I had to deal with that. Then um, they would say, you're not black. Where are you from? Oh, uh, okay. Wait, what do you mean I'm not black? <laughs> yeah. I've been black my whole entire life. Oh, right. I'm from Guyana in South America. No, you're not black. Because right. if you ain't African-American, you ain't black. Well, that, that that's a good point, and I'm glad you said that. So with that, now that you are being told that you're not black, what takes you back to your culture and then being considered to be black here in America in a way that a woman is treated in Guyana in a way that a woman is treated here in America? Oh, that's a loaded question. So my mom, she's tough as nails. 
Okay. And she's all about power to the people. She wouldn't let me forget for a moment who I was and where I came from and what my heritage and my culture was. Okay. Um, my grandparents, who they stood for, and their educators, and um, you know, she just refused to let me go by the wayside. It was constantly in my face. Um, we would read history books together, African American history books together. Um, she constantly talked about Guyanese culture. Right. She cooked the foods. She refused to learn American dishes. Uh, to this okay. day, my mom cooks Guyanese food. Okay. And so um, I, I only got away from the culture when I left the house. But once I stepped back into the house, I was back in Guyana. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because my mom just didn't want to see it any other way. And I'm grateful for that. At the time, I was irritated. I was young. I was breaking away from the culture because I was being teased. Right. Being different. Right. So as a young person, I didn't want to connect with who I was, right? But my mom, she knew better, thank goodness. And she knew it would define me and I would have, I would have identity in it. Okay. And so therefore I grew up with a lot of confidence and I, um, you know, I, I wasn't really afraid of anything. So and having that confidence. Kick their butt. Right. So now, so now having that confidence in America, how do you still see... Uh, women in Guyana being treated vice women in America. Yeah, it's different, right? So um, the women in Guyana are very, um, it's a traditional uh, roles, very conservative and traditional roles. Okay. The men are workers, they're providers. The women stay home with the children, raise the kids, take them to school, cook food, and um, and, and, and the women are strong. They're strong women. They're very smart women. A lot of them have, have education because their fathers sent them to school. However, once they got to the point where they got married, um, some of that got minimized. And it's unfortunate because um, there were times where maybe a family could only take one or send one or two kids to college. And so therefore the boys got to go, uh -huh. that sort of thing. Okay. So, okay. Um, and, and there was a lot of smart girls, right? Right. But um, it, it was, it's the culture. Things are a little, little bit more liberated today, but during the time I was growing up um, and my mom, definitely my mom's time, uh, it was tough. And so she actually came, she left me in Guyana. That's why she had to come back and pick me up, right? She left me at, um, 18 months, 20 months, something like that. And she didn't return until I was seven, seven and a half. Okay. So that, a lot happened in that time frame, but at the same time, um, I just was so grateful that I wasn't forgotten. Right. I know some parents just, you know, unfortunately there's some bad parents out there, they don't come back. But my mom left for school. She came to United States for a better education. And then she came back and she got me. So I'm just grateful that she did that. I didn't have to grow up in an environment that would have um, stifled me. Okay. Uh, possibly stifled me. Right, right, right. So that's a long time to be in the Bay Area. Where have you lived within the Bay Area or what areas? So right now you live in San Leandro. Yes. Right. Where else have you lived in the Bay Area? So it was in... Um, San Francisco the majority of the time 
and my young adult life, um, probably heading into like age 27, I, um, I moved to Oakland. And I loved Oakland because things were cheaper. Right, right. San Francisco, you know, it's, 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 it can be expensive to live in San Francisco, depending yeah. on where what areas you live. And so I lived in Oakland. I loved Oakland. I loved the Oakland culture. There were more African-Americans in a central, you know, smaller city, uh, centralized and communicating. And there was barbecues at the lake. And, um, you know, the Oakland Raiders were thriving in, in those days. And now they're in Vegas. Right. <laughs> but... Um, it, it was great. I love Oakland. And so to be able to um, be a young adult in Oakland, the summers were always about Juneteenth and always about um, African-American history. And so I, I just, I loved it. Okay. And then I moved from, I got married and we moved to Hayward and we lived in Hayward for a couple of years. And then we moved um, to where did we go after Hayward? San Lorenzo, which is next to San Leandro. And then now, um, unfortunately, that uh, marriage is dissolved. So um, once divorced, I moved to San Leandro. Okay. And I've been in San Leandro, I've been in San Leandro about 12 years. Wow, um, okay. Maybe 15 years, actually, if I really want to put a correct number to it. But yeah, and I love San Leandro because it's right between Hayward and Oakland. And if I want to hop on the bridge, and go to the city um, in San Francisco, I absolutely can. It takes about 35, 40 minutes. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, so great. So you, you feel like you live in a pretty comfortable place right now in San Leandro. Definitely. Okay, so please tell our listeners then about your job and your work and what you do. And do you think you would have this opportunity to do what you do if you were still in Guyana? Hmm. No, I wouldn't have this. Particular. You have to speak up a little bit. So, what did you say now? So, I I wouldn't have had this particular opportunity, and I'll and I'll share with you. I do a, co- a couple of different things. My day job, my job job, is um, to find housing for uh, formerly incarcerated um, persons, so males and females that are coming out of jail that really need um, not transitional housing. We want to do a little bit more than transitional housing. We have an Airbnb model where we pair pair up a homeowner that has an extra room that would like to um, help out, you know, someone in the community. Right. And that's exactly what happens that that formerly incarcerated person lives in that room, and the homeowner kind of becomes um, their advocate, and it's really cool because they end up helping them kind of make these tough life decisions you know right. how do i get a driver's license again how do you know i need a, a social security card um i need a job i would like to go to school and get more skills and so because it's someone in the community and they're already volunteering and doing these sort of things they tend to have this tremendous amount of empathy and they go above and beyond to help this person and then what we find is that folks are successfully graduating from the program after six, just short six months. Okay, okay. So how did you find this job or did this job find you? Um, I've always been a volunteer. I volunteer every year, whether it's working with young people, the homeless, um, or re-entry programs. Um, so 
the pandemic hit me, I actually had a job working for um, an AI company, you know, machine learning. Okay. And I felt so smart with those engineers. I was like, wow, I'm going to learn a lot with these guys. Um, but I got laid off. <laughs> and so when I lost my job, um, I, I just said, you know, gosh, I have to do something, something different. And I, and, and I wanted to. So hold on, you, you got laid off. So when you got laid off though, how many people were you actively uh, supporting in your family? Or is it just you now? And if, if you are supporting more people than just yourself, please share with us uh, your family dynamics right now. Oh yeah, I needed a, I needed a job. I was getting paid 70,000 from that job. And to go from 70,000 to whatever unemployment pays, I, I, don't even, I don't think I ever knew how much I actually got from right. EDD, but um, it was low. Right. Here's here's the cool thing. To answer your question, I, I have four children. Um, they're all today adults, but last year, my youngest child was still a senior in high school. Okay. And so I still needed a tremendous amount of income. I needed that lifestyle to remain the same. Right. So um, what ended up happening was that I, I, I my part-time side hustle kicked in. Okay. And so for the last eight, nine years, alongside all of my community work and the, the jobs that I've had, I've always um, been uh, licensed with either a life insurance license and or securities and investments license. And I needed, I knew because of my mom putting confidence in me that I could do anything. Don't let you being a woman stop you. Don't let it you being foreign, uh, an immigrant stop you. Don't let you be a single mom stop you because she instilled those facts into me. I was able to boldly step out and get licensed um, in a financial industry. And it's really rare to see an African-American woman um, doing financial services. And so uh, I, had to, I had a lot of competition, right? Just right. to even get the license. Right. But because of that license, when I lost my job, I picked up on my side business. I just went into high gear and I went from making maybe a five hundred to a thousand dollars part time to making three, four, five thousand dollars full time because now I'm looking for work, I'm trying to get unemployment, they're giving me a hard time. Right. And um I need an income. So that part time hustle saved my life. Okay. Um in my kids' lives because I'm paying rent. My oldest was helping, but there's only so much you can do right. to put pressure on your kids. You don't want to put that kind of pressure on your children. Right, right. But, um, so did the yeah, pandemic... Right, right. <laughs> I will survive. Gloria Gaynor, right? <laughs> oh, don't let me break out in the song. Right. right? <laughs> so uh, you mentioned the pandemic. So did the pandemic really kind of uh, turn your... Well, what were your... What were your coping mechanisms for you and your family then when the pandemic came into, you know, full, you know, full swing? One thing the pandemic taught me and probably all of us is that you're either going to make it from the intense pressure that you're now under or you're going to completely crumble and fade away. Right. Right. Pass out. Like, right. I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm done. <laughs> But I refuse to do that. And like I said, I believe it's because of all that was 
put into me since I was young. Okay. So growing up, knowing that, hey, it's going to get tough sometimes. You need to get creative in those tough times. And although I had a side business, that side business completely changed. It went from going, you know, making a phone call, setting an appointment, physically going to someone's home, sitting down with them to do a presentation at their kitchen table, kneecap to kneecap, right. to we're on video. Do you know how to log into Zoom? Mm, right. I need to connect the application to the computer. So you're going to click and accept that you want this life policy. Right. It was crazy. Talk about a fast learning curve. Um, I was up many nights just practicing how to do an application on Zoom. Okay. I was determined to still do business, although there was a pandemic. Mm, okay. Okay. So do you think that since your mom poured that into you and as you and your family came out of the pandemic, do you feel like you have equally poured the Guyanese culture and also just the spirit of what your mom uh, poured into you, into your children? And, and do you feel like they see how you have, you know, kind of championed to get through, you know, the pandemic and, and, and kind of come out of it? Yes, um, absolutely. I knew at a young age that it was because of my family, because of my mom, because of my culture. That is why, that is exactly why I was different. Okay. Nothing against anyone that's born in the United States. But what one thing I know that has happened to us as, as black people in the United States is that slavery has completely crippled us as a people. And so coming from somewhere else, also dealing with slavery, however, right. not as long. Right. Americans were enslaved almost 400 years compared to any other black person in the world. Okay. And uh, which was longer, right? So I knew I was different. And so I needed to explain to my children, you're also different. Okay. Because you're connected to an, a, a culture that says, hey, you can do things. It doesn't matter that you're Skin tone. Right. So, so we know. Okay. So we know about your mom. What about your What about your children? What do they do? And and what do What do you feel like your Do you feel like your children carry your strengths uh, forward? What do you What do you feel like? I, I try to instill it, and 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 I, I. What I mean about my own strengths, I try to you know push my personality, but everyone's different, and. These kids have the same dad and still they're four completely different people. Right. So to just to finish off on your previous question, I realized that I couldn't give them all of the Guyanese culture because I came here when I was eight. Right. You know, truth be told, my mom sometimes said, hey, you Yankee, which is like a cut, right? A slang, you're, you're, you're yeah. Americanized. Like yeah, yeah. Slang and a, a kind of clown, right? Okay. So I had to, I had to uh, um, give them to my mom. Okay. Oh, really infused with the culture, it was like you're gonna have to go hang out with grandma, and so they did. To the point where my kids would, they can do the accent. Okay. They can talk like my mom. Wow. Okay. They, have, they practice it on purpose. Okay. They ask her to make sarro, which is like a, 
um, it's a drink from a flower in, in Guyana, which it grows certain parts um, out here too. But you know, my oldest Imani knows how to make that drink okay. um, very well, as good as my mom. Wow. Okay. Um, Mia learned how to make a certain thing that um, that my mom would, would be teaching them. So I knew I was smart enough to know that 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 total culture wouldn't come for me. Okay. That they needed to be with their grandparents. Right. Um, right. And, it, and it helped a lot. <laughs> but to tell you a little bit about them, let's see. So Imani's the oldest. She just turned 28 two days ago, and um, she works for the San Francisco DA's office. She's doing really well. Um, Kenya is my second daughter, Okay. and okay. she is 22 years old. She's uh, about to start working with Costco, and she's going back to art school in the fall. Uh, Nia is my third daughter. She's um, graduated. She's 20 years old. She's already has her AA, but she's going back. Um, to get her bachelor's, she's going to go to San Diego State. Okay. Um, that's going to happen in spring of 2022. And then my son, the only boy, he just turned, um, he just graduated last year during the pandemic, right? So he's the first kid, no prom, no graduation. He was moping around the house. He was very sad. We were all sad for him. Right. Um, right. But he decided to go into the U.S. Um, Army. Okay. And, and he's doing very well there. He's already completed boot camp March of this year. He turns 19 in July, and he's a combat engineer. He absolutely loves it. And so I feel that they turned out okay. You know, there's still a lot of growing there, of course. But being a, a single parent, a, a co, I shouldn't say single parent. Their dad has 100% been in their lives, um, even after the divorce. So I can't uh, make it sound like I did it all by myself. But between um, their father, between um, my mom, and and just a lot of community and, and church love, they turned out okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you should be rightfully proud of that, you know, and uh, that's a good Thank thing, you. right? And that's a good thing. So, your mom, what is she like? <laughs> She's awesome. She's an awesome lady. And, you know, she grew up in a time where women, um, yeah, they were held back in certain ways. Right. They also knew to do so many things. My mom is an amazing cook. She can bake. She can make bagels and donuts and cake and pastries. She um, knows how to sew. She made, I went to my uncle's wedding when I was like 12 years old. No, I was about 11 in Canada. Um, I have a lot of family that moved to Canada. And she made my dress. Everyone loved my dress. They asked me, where did I get my dress? And right. I said, my mom sewed it. So you went to Canada, huh? Oh, yeah. I've okay. been to Canada, Mexico, um, different parts of the United States. I just wanted to see the world. I've been to Hawaii. I just like um, traveling because one thing I've learned coming from Guyana to the United States is that there are people everywhere. Right. And there's different foods to eat. There's different cultures to to um, celebrate. And so I'm not one of those people that I only have a certain type of friends. I have friends probably in every culture. So you're eclectic with your group. friends. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I love people. Okay. You're a people person, huh? I'm a people person. Get <laughs> that really fast sometimes. 
Okay, okay. So we've been to San Francisco, you've lived in San Leandro, you lived in Hayward. Where would you like to live now if you could say, hey, if, if money was no object, and would you would you go by yourself? Would you take the kids? What would you what do you where do you feel like you are in your life right now? Or do you feel like you are in a steady state? Or do you feel like you are in a transition period? Where does Rhonda feel like she is right now in her life? I feel like I'm in a steady state, that things are comfortable. But to tell you where I would live, I, I love tropical places. Okay. But I'd be curious just to see what it's like to hang out in Hawaii for a few months. Okay. What that's like. Um, uh, or somewhere you know, where there's a beach. Right. Coconut trees. <laughs> and um, and I love, uh, there's certain states that I, I, I don't know too much about. Like I've never, I've only been to Texas and I think I was in the airport. <laughs> like okay. I, did. I don't know anything about Texas. Right. Um, I've been to Atlanta a few times. I like Atlanta, um, especially outside, you know, like Duluth and the outside places. Um, I like Florida. Okay. Arizona's really hot. But I, I went there for one week and came back seven pounds lighter. So I thought about going there just to lose weight. Okay. <laughs> but I don't know where I'm gonna live. I, I love I love I love the sun and I love tropical places. So I gotta think about that. But right now my life is very stable. There's no drama. Um and uh, I'm at peace. You're at peace, huh? Okay. Okay. So um with your financial business now. How do you see that growing and what do you feel like you can do to, you know, now that the pandemic is over, how do you feel like you can put more energy into that? Oh yeah, I'm excited about it because I'm finally finding a, a kind of a, a good balance where um, you really have to acquire a discipline of making a certain amount of phone calls a day, following up with, with folks, setting appointments. But I believe in financial literacy. I feel it's something that we all absolutely need. If someone has inherited millions of dollars or, um, you know, have no money. Right. Both people need financial literacy. There's there's so many financial products out there from life insurance to um, retirement products to uh, banking, um, investments. I mean, the list is long. Um, mortgages, credit, FICO score, and, and, and folks are, you feel yourself just kind of getting dizzy right. just to figure out how to navigate all these products and, and which ones you need, how much of it, how much insurance do you need? Oh yeah, you? yeah, getting, uh, getting, yeah, getting housing in the, uh, in the Bay Area <laughs> <laughs> can be challenging, I know, <laughs> it can be very challenging, so, uh, because you can you can you can have strong numbers, but if you don't have a good score or landlords just don't don't want to rent to you, I guess it's a very different uh, it's a very different area than the East Coast. Really Absolutely. is a very different area than the East very Coast. Tough. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. what is your favorite food that you like to cook, American? And what is your favorite um, Guyanese or Guyana dish that you like to cook? The, fin the famous Guyanese dish that I, I know how to cook. There's like one, right? <laughs> I go to my mom for all the others. 
Um, I love curry chicken. Okay. And the curry, um, because our culture in Guyana, the black people in Guyana are very close in um, relation and, and friendship with the Indian people in Guyana. And so the Indians are usually from India, Fiji, and they make amazing dishes that have curries and masala, you know, roti and dal puri. And so my mom knows how to make all that stuff. Okay. All I know how to make is the curry chicken. Do you make that? Do you make this? I'm about to say there's like a like a like three different. I know there's. I think there's like three different major things of curry, but I don't really know. You know like, how hot? Yeah, you know. Yeah, because yeah, when I go yeah. order curry chicken, I say, "Is it hot for you or is it hot for me?" I need. I need to know what's going on here before I can. You know, <laughs> before I put my. The Caribbean, in general, Diana, in, like I said, I'm mean, including Diana in in that. We love spicy food. There's lots of different peppers that we cook with right. on purpose. <laughs> and then we add masala or our or chutney. You know, the Indians make a lot of chutney too. Right. And, and that's hot. And that's on top of your already hot food. And they love it. Everybody loves it. It's got to be hot going in and coming out. Yeah. <laughs> coming in hot. <laughs> coming in hot. So... We touched on a lot of subjects so far. Uh, what about your faith? Where Wait, are I didn't tell you my favorite. Oh, okay. American Go ahead. Dish, Go ahead. What is your favorite dish? I'm sorry. So, I don't know if I created this out of, um, you know, my ex husband is Mexican American. So, I, I have a little bit of that, you know, those flavors infused. So, I take chorizo, which right. is a Mexican sausage, and I use that as my kind of like sauteed with onions and bell peppers and season it up you know put a little pepper in there right and then i add sausages and cabbage okay that's served over rice and and that's kind of like a louisiana thing i absolutely love it my kids love it i probably eat that once a month just on autopilot just to have it all just to have it okay 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 well good good i'm glad i'm um hopefully we get a chance to to try some of it, you know? I think that'll be a good thing. So, what I was about to ask you though, where are you um, with your faith? In you know, and, and how does your faith carry you through pandemic, raising your children, or just how does your faith work in your life, you know? Um, for me personally, I, I grew up, even in Guyana, um, those times when my mom left, right? So she left, I was 18 months. I had to stay with my dad's mom and then she couldn't really, well, initially I had an aunt or some extended family person. Then my dad moved me from her. My mom had somebody, um, or am I flipping it? Oh my goodness, I, let me start over, let me start over. I went first with my mom's connection. Okay. Her name, her name was Sister Sister Cleo, and she had the sister in front of the Cleo. Okay. Church lady. She okay. Was, you know, very. She loved God, and she talked to me about God all the time. And she said, she said, Rhonda, if you pray that God sends your mom back, He will, because she's gonna come back and pick you up and take you to the States with her. 
And so she would take me into the yard and she would show me the airplane. She's gonna come back on an airplane like that and she's gonna come and get you and she's gonna take you back with her. I was with that lady um, for about four years. Okay. Well, three, let's say three years. Okay. Because I was, you know, almost two at the time, right? Right. When my mom left. So then now, um, three years later, she passes away. And that's when my dad first took me to another family member. That didn't work out because she had like five kids. And right. Trying to juggle another, a new a little kid and everything. And then went to my grandma. So I said all that to say that my faith was instilled in me at a very young age. Um, three years you know, three to four to five years old, learning about who God was, his character. She talked about God all the time, like he was standing right next to her. And so I realized if her, and I loved her, right. I trusted her, if God was so amazing to someone that I love and trust, then maybe I can pray, like she's asking me to pray, and maybe my mom will come back for me as well. Right. Well, lo and behold, I prayed. And it seemed like an eternity, but actually, hindsight being 2020, my mom came within two years of my prayers. Wow, okay, okay. And she came back, and I, at that moment, at that young age of six and a half, seven years old, just was convinced God is real because of that one experience. Okay. And so from that young age, I would pray the way she taught me to pray. And she taught me the Lord's Prayer as well. Okay. So I would just keep doing it. Although I, I, I didn't really have a, I didn't have a relationship with God. I was just doing what I believe was right based on what she said. Okay. And so coming to United States, um, my mom was Methodist. And she said, hey, I don't go to church. You could, when we moved to San Francisco, she said, you can go to church if you want to. Right. You know, I'll just take you there, but I'm not gonna go. I said, okay, mom. So one day I'm in the fourth grade and my best friend, right. Lucretia Smith, she said, hey, we're having a youth event at my church. Would you like to come? I said, oh, are you Methodist? That's the only thing I knew. She said, no, I'm Baptist. What is Baptist? <laughs> she goes, you should just come to the event. I think you're gonna have fun. And I came and I never left. Okay, okay. I, I never left. I learned a lot about the Bible at that church. And I learned um, the pastor at the time was a very loving man. He cared about all the children there. Right. Okay. He did things above and beyond for, for his kids and the children as if they were his kids. So I just grew up in an environment where God equaled love. Okay. okay. And it made sense to me right. that God was good. Right. Okay. And so I figured if I wanted to be good... And I wanted to love, then I need to know God. You need to have a close relationship with I God. I need to have a relationship. And okay. so then my relationship started in probably um, late teens, early 20s. Okay. So we've covered a lot of ground about America and, and some of the things that you like. What do you feel like, uh, what do you dislike about America? Seeing it from, seeing it uh, as you have assimilated into the culture of America now and you feel like you are uh, as you as your mom say Yankee the Yankee now so what do you 
<laughs> what do you dislike about America? Um, there's there's a few things, but to put to to capsulate it or put it into one one thing, I would say it's the fact that everyone is individualized here. You see, in a culture um, where family is a given, your neighbor is someone that's family. They're not a stranger. You, you have to know who these people are in your immediate circle, across the street, down the block. Everybody knows everybody. And so you go, there were certain unspoken rules. You go to someone's house, you take something. Not because you wanna take something, but you really care about these people. So it may be, hey, I know that you really love when I make this. I'm coming to your house. Would you like me to make it for you? So you bring something to, you're saying you take something to their home. Potentially, yes. Okay. And and so it's not, I'm going to run to Safeway and grab the salad or I'm going to grab a cake because I'm going over there. That's nice too. Grab a bottle of wine, right? Step further and really incorporating the person's, um, what you know about them. Right. And and it's it's a care part. Okay. And that only comes from a collectiveness. It's, it's, if you're an individual and you're raised in a society that you just think about yourself, then these thoughts don't naturally come to you. Okay. Someone either has to tell you. Right. Um, or you have to experience it and you go, oh, wow, that's pretty awesome. Right. And then you, you duplicate it, right? But um, that I think if I have to pick one thing, yes, there's racism here and it's awful. It's awful. Um, but also everyone here is an individual. People don't know their neighbors. They don't care to. They don't want to. Do you know your neighbor? I mean, do you? Do you? Absolutely. <laughs> I know my neighbors, and they scare people, right? Because my culture says you have to know your neighbor. Right. And when people are moving here, you have to help them. You're the welcome committee, huh? <laughs> Hi, I'm Rhonda. My mother would call me and say, "Hey, cousin, so and so, they're coming. They come in July. You got to help them." I don't know this person. Right. And I'm glad you don't know them. They're family. <laughs> okay, mom. Yeah. What do you need me to do? Yeah. Right? And that's just a given. I'm not going to fight against that because I was raised just not knowing any different. Right, right. Well, I met your mom briefly, and she seems like a wonderful person. And uh, she's very nice. Very nice. <laughs> she's a nice lady. Yes, yeah, she is. She is. So. What so you say the individualism then is what stands out to what you dislike the most over would you say that over racism or they kind of running neck and neck or equal or what would you say? Um, I don't want to say I don't know if it's over racism because racism really is everywhere, yeah. It, it's it's um, it's it's bad, it, it's bad here because we're living through it, right? Um and what was done to to black people in America, it, it, it's the worst. Um, 400 years of slavery, I mean, it, it's the worst. And, and, and we're still dealing with things. In fact, just to bring this racism point out to light, I remember telling my son, I don't want you to go to the army. Okay. I was very clear about it. 
Right. Once you go to school, everyone's going to college, you're gonna get a degree, you're a smart man, you can grow up, you'll be an engineer, and you'll be successful. I want them to see you as a successful black man in America, nothing else. And then I saw a police officer put his knee on Floyd's neck and he died in front of everyone. And I said, oh my God, yeah. this is still happening and will continue to happen. And so therefore my son is not gonna die this way. Right. You go to the army like you want to. I prefer you dying, fighting for your country. Than being killed by your country. Right. Than being killed by your country, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So my my that my whole thought process changed. The whole perspective changed, right. My whole perspective changed, that's right. Okay. So um I, I know that um being an individual didn't help um racism because racism is about hatred. Right. Um and if you have an individual mind along being a racist, it's just like a yeah. really yeah. bad thing that's happening. So do you um, think you deal with so do you think you deal more with racism or do you think you deal more with sexism? Because of my personality <laughs> I, I I naturally like people and I and I go above and beyond to be friendly with folks. Okay. I don't see your color and then say, oh, I don't want to talk to you. Or I have friends, like I said, all cultures, all walks of life. So what happens with me is that I don't really have a lot of issues with racism because racist people either get irritated and don't really want to deal with me they don't try to do their little schemes and taxes and things. I don't, I don't experience all that. Right. Or, um... But you're an attractive woman, so you don't think that sometimes um, sexism comes at you in a certain way, or... Yeah. Uh, or, or, or if you're not, if you're not playing ball, so to speak, uh, you won't get the opportunities, or do you ever feel that way, or do you, do you feel like you've been denied because you've been because of your color more so, or do you feel like you've, you've been denied opportunities more so because of your of your sex? It's definitely, for, for me personally, because of my sex. Okay. I have experienced, experienced more sexism than I have racism. And what usually happens, because I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm all that smart, right? Uh, but I, I have a, a basic intellect, and sometimes I think it's just intimidating for men. I mean, whether I'm dating a man or I'm in leadership in a church or um, at school or I'm getting a license, I have to deal with the fact that men are challenged and, 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 or feel somehow intimidated that this woman here in front of me knows as much as I know or sometimes more. Or more, right. Okay. And it can be it can be problematic for me. So so, so you think that the men you've dealt with have not been strong enough to deal with your intellect? Say that again. I think so. You feel like the men you've dealt with have not been strong enough to deal with your intellect or your ability to do for yourself. I don't even know if they're not strong enough as much as they don't want to. 
I feel that some men place women in a category. She's either going to be, let's say, wifey material and be able to, you know, take care of the kids and be at home, domesticated, if you will, lack of a better word. Okay. And, or she's a woman that I have to view as tough and abrasive and that's why she's so smart and you know she can't be gentle or right. you know all these other things that, that come along but I think it's difficult for some men and I want to say some because I've met men that don't have this problem right um, but there are some guys that they struggle on what bucket <laughs> I guess to place a woman instead of just seeing her as a friend and as a human being right but I know that God gave me a brain right and I want to use that brain okay to the maximum capacity that's allowed for me right because everybody probably has a different level but um, I feel that there's no need for a man to be intimidated by a woman if anything um, we should be celebrating each other's differences and and kind of having um, a, a holistic approach you know right to how we interact as opposed to that person is above or behind you or in above front. or below me or, yeah. or they I don't trust them or you know I've heard from guys they say I don't trust women what do you mean <laughs> you just put all women in the category you just don't trust any of them right what about your mom what about your sister what about your daughter right so it's just it's just interesting to me how people think okay okay as we get close to the end of our show what do you think you want to leave your our listeners with if they, if you were to encapsulate um, your experience or your life, or just anything, if you, if your children right now were about to live on their own, what kind of advice would you share with them as they go forth into the world? Um, I really believe in having a relationship with God. I believe he is real and that it is important to know him on an intimate level. And this is a personal relationship. Because sometimes people are married or they feel like, oh yeah, my spouse goes to church and they pray for me. I'm good. They got me. That's not what this is. This, this is about your creator purposing you being specific in detail in, in creating you and having something for you in life. And if you don't know that, but you gotta do a check-in. You kinda gotta talk to him and say, hey, what is my purpose? And what am I to do on this big, vast planet? So, so are you um, saying that you would have very, so when you have this personal relationship with God, are you saying that your prayers are very specific? They're very personal to you and what your purpose is and the things. And it could be a prayer of, because sometimes I started out prayers where I just said, oh my God, I don't know what's happening in my life. Financially, I'm struggling. I'm stressed out or I'm pregnant. Oh my God, I'm about to have another baby. How can I take care of yet another child? 
So sometimes I had specific prayers on things that were going on in my life. Sometimes I was praising God and thanking him for delivering me out of something, a situation. But a lot of times I just acknowledged who God was. Mm, okay. I believe you're real. And I believe that you, you created the universe. I see evidence of that creation through people, animals, vegetation, plants, the sea, the stars, the moon, the sun. And so therefore, nothing just happenstance, right? This stuff has too much detail that someone didn't just place it where they placed it. Right, so you don't think so, anything, so you, you so you are of the belief then that everybody that you meet in your life brings you a purpose or brings a purpose or, or, or fulfills a certain purpose in your life? They have a purpose fulfilled that God has for them before they even meet me or you, right? There's something that God has for them personally. Hmm. And they have to check in on what that is because I can't tell you what that is. And then when you meet me, I don't believe I'm meeting you on an accident. I, I mean, I could have been anywhere at any given moment and any time and anywhere in the world, but I'm here right now with you. Right. I don't think that's an accident. Okay. And then third, I want to teach my kids and anyone that's listening, I want to encourage people if you don't already have a financial plan, because if you don't fail, if, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. Right. Okay. And, and, and that's simply saying, what is your budget on a regular basis? I mean, are you looking at what you're spending your money on? Do you even write it down? Okay. I remember at, at one point I didn't write it down. I just... I had like seven bills and I knew where they were. Just winging it, huh? Wee. And when I didn't, and when I didn't pay him, I knew I knew my bill connected like just by name. <laughs> hey Joe, what's up, man? Hey, yeah. I'm gonna get it to you. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's in the mail, Joe. Joe, it's in the mail. <laughs> it's in the mail. Right. So um I think it's important to have financial literacy, um, to understand some major important products. Like everyone should know their FICO score. They should understand how a mortgage works. Um, they should understand basic banking, checking and savings and CDs. They should do investments so they can have a retirement plan. Um, but we don't all, we don't learn all these things on the cuff, right? It's like, boom, 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 boom. Right. So you take time, you make time to learn it. Okay. You might have to take a workshop. Yeah. Zoom, Zoom workshop. Right. You can do it from your living room or from your kitchen. Okay. And so um, I think financial literacy is important. All of my kids have an investment account. Okay. Okay. You know, they may not have a lot of money in there, but they contribute monthly to it. Right. Okay. And so here's the truth. There's two truths. One is if you put away $200 a month for 40 years, you're going to land roughly at a million dollars if that money is earning an annual 9% rate. Okay. Here's another truth. If you save 5000 a month, for 10 years, you will have $1.8 million. Wow, okay. So it's just a numbers game. Right, right. How much discipline and commitment do you want to, you know, how much sacrifice you want to do there? That's completely up to you. Right. But it is possible because it's, the numbers are not racist. Right. We don't discriminate. Right. And if you do the numbers, you'll have the income. Right. The numbers discriminate, though, in the sense of, 
the literacy or the financial literacy because a lot of times financial literacy is not served in uh, is not taught in underserved communities so that's where that's where the that's where um that's where we're being blocked yeah right right. so therefore even more reason that i must do financial literacy in my community. Okay. I do workshops on a regular basis, not just for individuals and businesses, but I go to um, community-based CBOs, community-based organizations all the time. Okay. And there's no charge to them. Oh, yeah. Because they just need the information. Right. Now, if one person says to me, hey, Rhonda, I heard your workshop. I definitely want to set up an investment. Of course, I'll get a commission on helping them. But my, my goal is that all communities, especially mine, because I'm African American, right, is to learn how money works. Okay, how you how you can put money to work for put you it to work for you, right. how it works, use it as a tool, leverage it, all of the above. Okay, okay. Well, we are at the end of our show. I think we had a great conversation. I'm so glad that you were able to spend this time with our listeners and share your story about coming to America from Guyana and what it means for you to be able to be here. Uh, what is your purpose? Have acknowledged God, uh, have financial literacy, have a plan, be able to budget and uh, have a personal relationship with God are some of the things that I think our listeners picked up on and, and that you shared very well with them. So. I just want and, to and thank you. don't be you. an individual. Don't huh? be an individual to the point where you've closed off other people. Right. Meet someone new. Make a friend. Right. Make a friend. Make a friend. And uh, how could people get in touch with you? Or do you have any links to share that you could send me so that uh, when the show is posted that they could be able to, if they wanted financial literacy or if there's somebody who's listening and they just were recently incarcerated that they'd be able to uh, get in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, I can give you my email and then I'll also um, send you an email okay. that will have um, my business link to that. Okay. Uh, my signature. All but right. my email is R-O-N-D-A-S-N-C-H-Z at yahoo.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much there. Rhonda, it's been great to have you on the show and interview you. And uh, thank you very much for just sharing your time with us. Because we all know time is always the most precious resource that you have and you never get it back. So you want to live, laugh and love and enjoy your time here while you're on this earth. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank you.